and sing the gospel, sing salvation, tell the people all is well, shout the good news from the mountain, all ye thankful, go and tell. What a fitting encouragement this morning on the first Sunday of this new year as we are going to examine that very gospel message together this morning. I'd like to invite you to take your copy of the scriptures and open to the book of Romans this morning. The book of Romans, chapter number 6, is where we will read this first Sunday of the new year. No, better, no place I would rather be than worshiping with God's people, with faith, family, in the house of the Lord. I have to. I am contractually obligated before we begin, though, to wish my wife a happy birthday. Will you help me do that? And Shelby's birthday present kept us up all night the last couple of nights. But we are thankful, and I'm thankful for her. Romans chapter number 6. We're going to continue studying our articles of faith this morning by looking at numbers 9 and 10 concurrently. Both of these articles of faith deal with the ordinances of the church. Webster's Dictionary defines an ordinance this way, and the way we use it. There's a number of ways you can use the word ordinance. The way we use it in the context of our gatherings is this, a prescribed usage, practice, or ceremony. This is what our articles of faith say. We'll be on the screen with you. This is what they say about the ordinances. Number nine says, we believe that baptism and the Lord's Supper are ordinances of Jesus Christ given to the church, and that no one has a right to them but believers and that no one has a right to administer them, but ordained ministers who have themselves been baptized. Article of Faith number 10. Again, these were written by our mothers and fathers in the faith uh, many, many years ago. They say, number 10, very simply, we believe that immersion only is baptism. So that's what the founders of East Aboga Baptist Church in the 1830s said about the ordinances of the church. Listen to what the Baptist faith and message last revised in the year 2000 says concerning the ordinances. It says that Christian baptism is the immersion of a believer in water in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It is an act of obedience symbolizing the believer's faith in a crucified, buried, and risen Savior. The believer's death to sin, the burial of the old life, and the resurrection to walk in newness of life in Christ Jesus. It is a testimony to his faith in the final resurrection of the dead. Being a church ordinance, it is prerequisite to the privileges of church membership and to the Lord's Supper. And concerning the Lord's Supper, the Baptist faith and message says, The Lord's Supper is a symbolic act of obedience, whereby members of the church, through partaking of the bread and of the fruit of the vine, memorialize the death of the Redeemer and anticipate his second coming. Brothers and sisters, as we begin, I believe a statement needs to be made, and it's there at the top of your worship guide if you're taking notes. Much debate over the years has been centered on this very topic, and we're not going to go down many of those trails this morning. We want to focus on what Scripture says alone. But our convictional reading of the Scriptures and the testimony of those who've gone before us tell us this, that there is no saving merit in the ordinances. I want you to write that down if you're taking notes. In the ordinances, they have no saving 
merit. Brothers and sisters, baptism, which we will get to share in the second service, we'll get to see the proclamation of one saying, I have placed my faith in Jesus Christ, and I am telling the world that he has redeemed me from death to life. We'll see that in our 11 o'clock gathering. Baptism, though, saves no one. Do you understand this morning that the elements we will share of communion in just a little while, that taking of the bread and of the cup saves no one? Brothers and sisters, on this first Sunday of the new year, we have gathered to proclaim this gospel truth, that it is Christ Jesus alone who died. It is Christ Jesus alone who was buried, and Christ Jesus alone who three days later beat sin, death, and hell in the grave, raising to life in victory and power. It is Christ Jesus alone who intercedes for the brothers at the right hand of the throne of God. It is Christ Jesus alone who is returning one day Listen, it is Christ Jesus alone who saves. And in the ordinances of the church, as we come together to celebrate baptism, as we approach the Lord's table, we proclaim to the world that it is Christ Jesus alone who saves. In Romans chapter number 6, we see Paul discussing this very theme of saving grace. Paul is discussing the idea that we sang about that grace is greater than all of our sins. As he opens this, this passage that we will read, though, there was a question. And he answered the, the rhetorical question with the picture of baptism, which is what we will discuss this morning and how the ordinances fit in the local church. So if you found your place and you are able, will you join me in standing? As we read God's word for the first time in 2019, our standing indicates that we give honor and reverence as the living word of God is read in our presence. Romans chapter number 6, beginning in verse 1 and following, where you hear the words of the Scriptures. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who have died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? We were buried therefore with Him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead... By the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we've been united with Him in a death like His, we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. We know that our old self was crucified with Him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For the one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe we will also live with Him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. For the next few minutes, I'd like to use this for a thought as we consider these ordinances. Once and for all. You may be seated. Father, for the next few minutes, this is your time. As we consider the truths that have been instituted by the Lord Jesus himself and passed down through the ages to us, may we be stirred by what they mean for us. As we read your word, God, may you add your blessing to the preaching, to the hearing, to the understanding of the scriptures. And may even now we begin to self-examine, to start the process of repentance so that we can approach the table in a worthy manner. Father, preach your message. Hide me behind your cross. May we leave this room 
challenged and changed through the power of the Holy Spirit. We pray these things with confidence because Jesus Christ is alive. In His name and for His sake, the people of God together said amen. So if the ordinances do not save, why do we celebrate them in the context of the local church? I want to make four statements this morning right here out of Romans 6 as we consider baptism and communion. And I hope they will encourage us to remember the proper place of the ordinances. And as we've mentioned, will hopefully stir us to self-examination that we'll be able to approach this table in a worthy manner. Number one, will you notice that the ordinances teach us about Christ's death? The ordinances teach us about Christ's death. Go back to the very first verse of what we read. Paul says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound by no means? All 11 verses that we read this morning is Paul's answer to the extent of Christ's redeeming work and the extent of saving and atoning grace. He is saying to those who would say, should we sin more so that more grace is poured out? He is saying we should never do that. In, verse, in this verse here, we see in verses 1 and 2 a rhetorical question. Paul uses these throughout Romans. There are scores of rhetorical questions throughout Paul's writings in all the New Testament. He sets up an argument that some have asked him about or maybe that some have accused him of. And he says, this is why it should never be this way. As the ordinances teach us about Christ's death, though, Paul says very plainly that Christ's death is complete and final. And that our sin should not continue to increase that grace would abound. He says, may it never be. Your copy of the scriptures may render it, God forbid, it may render it by no means. The Greek word is the most emphatic Greek phrase in all of the New Testament. In fact, maybe in all of ancient Greek literature. May, you know, am I. There's a lot of things that could mean. And this morning, we want to focus on just what he is saying. He is saying, in no case ever should the death of Christ mean you have an excuse to sin. The ordinances call us to remember that, whether it's baptism or communion. We are reminded of the complete finishing work of the Redeemer on the cross. Paul points to the ordinance of baptism to make his case. He says it is a picture of what Jesus has done. And in verse 3, We see him saying, do you not know that you have been baptized into Christ Jesus and into his death? We share in Jesus' death by faith and then symbolically in the ordinances. Robert Mount said this, commenting on this passage. He said, death separates. We know this. Death is that final separation, at least physically here in this life. And death to sin removes the believer from the control of sin. And I I believe we glaze over this too often. As the ordinances are to teach us about what Christ's death means for us, we forget that we are supposed to be dead to sin. That our our sin was nailed to the cross. It was placed on the sinless Son of God and with His own precious blood. He paid for it. Paul is saying, may it never be that Christ's death is our excuse to sin. But may the ordinances, like baptism, remind us of how serious and complete it really is. Verse 4. He says, you, we were buried with him, therefore by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. In the second service, we will get to witness baptism for the first time this year. And we have made t-shirts. And they're just, it's nothing too special, but we are excited about them because on the front it has the words made new. 
And the reference to that verse right there, Romans 6, 4. And every person for the next few years who's baptized at East Aboga will have a, a very literal, physical, tangible reminder that they have been made new. And it's from this verse that we get our, a lot of our theology of baptism. That we have been buried with him in the likeness of his death and raised to walk in the newness of life. In verse 4, when he says we've been baptized, another, another Greek word, baptisma. It's only used in New Testament Greek. It means to dip or to immerse. That's why we, especially as Baptists, we dip, we immerse. It's, re, it's connected to a Greek root, baptizo. You've heard that word used many times, especially in our one-on-one class. We explain why we, we baptize by immersion. It's a Baptist distinctive. But it has a greater meaning, too. We were baptized into Christ. We were immersed. The same words used throughout the New Testament for those who eventually suffered the martyrdom, death at the hands of those for their faith. The ordinances teach us that not only was Christ's death complete for us, that when we are baptized, we symbolically and by faith share in the death that Jesus died for us. Our participation tells the world, as we will see in the second service, that we have died with Christ to our sin. So the ordinances, the the bread and the blood poured out, the bread and the vine, baptism when the body is taken under the water and comes back, it teaches us about Christ's death. Number two, let's continue reading. The ordinances teach us about Christ's victory. Look at verse number five. It says, if you have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified in order to bring the body of sin to nothing. For the one who has died has been set free from sin. It's hard to pass over this word in verse number five that we no. Robert Mounts again says, As he has been raised victor over death, so too we are set free from the bondage of sin. We have gospel confidence in the victory that Jesus accomplished on the cross. We know that because he has been killed, he has been put to death for sin. So have we, and he has accomplished the victory. Verse number 6 says that sin has been brought to nothing. A popular song right now, it says that we are no longer slaves to sin, comes from this passage here in verse number 5. Christ's death accomplished victory, and the ordinances teach us about this victory. We are no longer slaves to sin. The word slaves in our day has a very negative connotation, as it should. When you think of slavery, you think of chattel slavery, and you go back to the 17 and 1800s in our history. And you were quickly reminded by use of this word how that other human beings were used to accomplish profit and gain for other people. It's a terrible, dark moment in our history. Do you know about the Emancipation Proclamation? In January of 1863, President Abraham Lincoln decreed that those four plus million who were then in bondage were hereby and forever free. And not too long after that, the Congress passed and the country ratified the 13th Amendment to the Constitution that for all times coming prohibited the use of forced labor and servitude. Outlawing slavery forever. You say, man, what does that have to do with this right here? Can you imagine at all, just for a moment, the moment that the people heard, the telegraph wires were ablaze with the news that Lincoln had decreed the slaves free. And there was debate on whether or not he could do this legally, but it didn't matter, especially those where the Union front had already made it past. Those behind Union lines were immediately free. 
we read of joyous celebrations throughout, especially the South, where people are hearing for the first time, you are free. Go back a little further. As we consider the ordinances, we go back to Calvary's Hill over 2,000 years ago. The Redeemer hangs on the cross and with a simple word, to tell us die, it is finished, you are free. In that moment, sin's power was broken for us. All that the enemy had, he had thrown against the God of creation and he lost. In that moment, the victory proclaimed for you and I was accomplished by the Redeemer. And the ordinances teach us this. They call us to remember as we come up out of the water that Jesus accomplished this for us. As we take of the bread and the cup, we are called to remember that Jesus accomplished this victory for us. And may with the same fervor that we celebrate birthdays, that we celebrate national holidays, that we celebrate the birth of a child or anything else that we mark, may we mark as we approach the table in just a minute with joyful remembrance the moment that Jesus proclaimed once and for all the victory over sin and the grave. The ordinances teach us about Christ's death and his victory, but we cannot mention this message, the gospel message, without the resurrection. The ordinances, if you look at verse 8, teach us about the resurrection. In verse 8, he says, Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. The death, he died to sin, he died once and for all. The progression of thought here lets us know. That, that Paul is developing a thought that Jesus, again going back to the question of grace and how deep it is, Paul is developing the thought that if Jesus died and we share with that and we know that Jesus is alive, we will share in that as well through faith. We know. What are you sure of in this life? We know. Paul says we know that Jesus Christ has been resurrected from death. This is continued certainty and is the foundation of our gospel hope. The ordinances teach us about the resurrection. In the 11 o'clock service, Pastor Mike will be in the baptistry. And he will have the young man who has proclaimed his faith in Christ. And he will ask Branson, have you confessed Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? He will say, yes sir, I have. Then he will baptize him. The baptistic formula is in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And Branson will be taken under the water. And as he crests the water in just a little while, as he comes out of the grave, so to speak, he portrays three moments. First of all, he portrays through this ordinance the moment that Jesus came back. From death, the moment that the Creator, who was laying in a borrowed tomb, breath once again filled his lungs. He is portraying the moment that sealed the promise. Your buried body began to breathe. Out of the silence, the roaring lion proclaims, Death has no claim on me. The ordinances portray this moment. With passion and beauty. We also portray the moment of our spiritual birth. As Branson comes up out of the water, he's telling the world the moment he said, Jesus, save me, his spiritual person took its very first breath. And that person will breathe from this time forth and for all eternity. Do you see that's what the ordinances teach us? 
That's why we make a big deal about baptism and we treat communion with such solemnity and reverence. It's because this stuff has eternal meaning and significance. And brother and sister, may I say a word of caution to you. If you view these ordinances as anything else, you've missed the mark. You've missed the point. And may this morning be the time that you say, that has something for me. That means something for me. We portray the resurrection, the moment of spiritual birth, and the moment of our future resurrection. Branson, as he'll come out of the water in just a little bit, says, not only has Jesus done this for me, not only have I spiritually done this, but one day the trumpet will sound. And the dead in Christ who have been buried, they are literally, in case you don't ever think about it, the graves are going to actually burst open. Paul said the dead in Christ will rise to meet the Lord in the air, and we will forever Be with the Lord. Baptism portrays that moment. These ordinances remind us and they teach us about the resurrection. It says here that he having died, if you can't get excited about this right here, especially if you have ever had to bury a loved one, it says we'll never die again. Hebrews Chapter 7 says, consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. Verse number 10 says that this death is once for all. There we have the beginnings of our theology of eternal security, perseverance of the saints. That Because he is alive forever, we will live forever. Chris Tomlin says, once and for all, the Father's love. He is the light in the darkness. He took on flesh and took our place, the weight of the world on his shoulder. Once and for all, our debt is paid. There on the cross it is finished. The Lamb of God for us was slain, and up from the grave he is risen. The ordinances teach us about the finality and completeness of Jesus' redeeming work. So the ordinances teach us about Christ's death his victory, his resurrection, and finally, they teach us about his return. For the death he died, he died to sin once and for all. The life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. The life he lives, so what Paul means, is the life that you and I should live. In light of what Jesus has done. Now, I have limitations. I understand full well my littleness and inability to communicate the beauty of the gospel message to you. I have to trust that the Holy Spirit does His work in all of our hearts. But brothers and sisters, I can't think of a better message to start 2019 than that Jesus Christ died, accomplished victory, and came back to life for us, and that we get to symbolically participate in the here and now. The life he lives, he lives to God. He said, so you also must consider yourselves dead to sin. There is the completion of Paul's argument here. Dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. It teaches us about the return of Christ, for it teaches us how to live in light of what he's done in full anticipation of Christ's second coming. Isn't that what the Baptist faith and message said? That we, we proclaim the Redeemer's work and anticipate His second coming. The message that we understand of what Christ has accomplished for us teach us 
that we are to live a fully devoted Romans 12, 1 and 2 lifestyle. Every breath that, that God deposits into our lungs should be exhaled to the glory and praise of the Father. The ordinances teach us about that. It reminds us of our inability to save ourselves and how that God in His grace stepped into time, space, and human history to accomplish redemption for His people. The ordinances teach us about this very thing. It anticipates His return and it calls us as brothers and sisters to do the same. It stirs us as we approach the table to confession and self-examination as we witness baptism in a little while. And each time that we do, it's supposed to call into our minds the moment we were baptized. And in the moment we see one taken under the water, or we take of the bread and of the cup, we are to say, where am I in this process, anticipating Jesus' return? We're to stir our brother or sister up to repentance and right living and allow them to do the same. And then we are to call to the world, Jesus Christ is coming soon and you can see his gospel message right here in the ordinances as we baptize and as we take the Lord's Supper Paul says very plainly but beautifully we do proclaim the Lord's death until he comes the ordinances teach us about the return of Christ so this morning you may be wondering because the material is so familiar it's so well versed into our understanding. How do I respond to this? As Randy and Amanda come and we prepare for a time of response, before we approach this table, say, Ben, if the ordinances teach us about the death of Christ, about the victory of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, and one day the return of Christ, what am I to do with such a message? Sweet people of God, hear my heart this morning. If you're a believer in the room, you're to self-examine and repent. You are to look heavenward. We look up. My dad is here this morning. Often when he prays, he'll say, Father, we look up. And that's, that's biblical. That's scriptural. We're to look up. And we are to see the return of Christ drawing nigh. But this is a moment when you are reminded of the gospel message through the ordinances that we are to repent. Do you have something you need to let go of? Do you have some sin that you need to once again see for what it really is? Something that has been nailed to the old rugged cross. Come and do that this morning. You may need to go to someone and get them and say, I need to tell you I'm sorry. You may need to come and just pour out right here. Say, Ben, I can do that in a pew. You can. I hope you will. There's no better place than to be surrounded by faith family to come and kneel, confess, and say, Lord, afresh and anew, I'm yours. And if you're in this room and you say, Ben, I, I don't, I'm not sure. I don't connect with exactly what you're saying. It may be that you've not experienced the death to self, the victory over sin, the resurrection of your spiritual person, and you have nothing to look forward to in Christ's return. Will you come to Jesus and live? In just a moment when we pray, our pastors will be here. Pastor Mike, Pastor John, and myself. We'd love to tell you what it means to be a Christian. That you may, for the first time, be able to partake of the ordinances as a true believer. Whatever needs you have this morning, this is a moment as we start 2019 to do business with God. Will you stand with me all over the house? Father, may we respond to your message in a way that honors you in Jesus' name.